Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Well, good morning. I am Pastor Anthony. I am the site pastor of the Vine campus over in the Vine neighborhood. And you might say, hold on, I'm getting a bum deal. We were supposed to get this amazing, fantastic guest speaker today. And you were, but we had some complications and he couldn't make it true story. So I got the honor of filling in for one very important reason. I was the only pastor that had a sermon written. So they were like, you, you get the nod. And I said, okay, I'll do it. No problem. So I'm going to preach a message today. We are in the inward journey. It's going to be four months. We're going to talk about everything in the world pertaining to the inward journey that we can in four months. And this pertains to your personal spiritual growth. Who am I in Christ? How do I take on the character of God? And how do I get rid of stuff that isn't in the character of God. And the message that I'm going to preach today fits right in with that journey, but it also works with all three journeys. But I have to tell you, it was a, it was a culmination message for the month we've been doing at the Vine Campus. Okay, We've been preaching through a book called Way of the Heart by Henry Nouwen. Has anybody heard of Way of the Heart? Anybody? Yes, like two or three people. Excellent. I love that book. It changed my life. It has three major points. I held up four fingers and said three that is why I'm a pastor <laughs> and not engineering your cars. Three major points. It talks about the spiritual disciplines of these people called the Desert Fathers. They were monks in the wilderness in Egypt in the early 300s, okay? And they had these things they valued very highly. One was solitude. But solitude to them wasn't what we think of it as. Solitude to the Desert Fathers was intentionally encountering God to do battle against your false self, sin, all the things that drag you down, and to win. Solitude was the furnace of transformation where the old you died and the new you was reborn by the grace of God. So it was intense. Silence to them wasn't getting in a quiet room. It had nothing to do with the atmosphere around you. To the Desert Fathers, the discipline of silence had everything to do with you not making noise. They valued not speaking. They, they said you didn't have to say too many words. You know, they, they did value actually not talking, but silence for them was an internal stillness, a deep peace that came from knowing the fullness and the presence of God and living in the reality of rest in his love. That was what they meant by silence. And if you did that, they realized, wow, we can take this place of encounter with us. We can live in this place where we're encountering God and we're, we're doing battle and winning against all these things that drag us down because we're living in the reality and the fullness of his love resting in that inside us. And that leads to the third thing they highly valued, which was constant prayer. How do you constantly pray? Well, if you've done the first two things, you're going through your normal life in a place of encounter with God, resting in his presence, resting in his love, Everything you think and everything you do in that context becomes prayer because it's by default brought to the feet of Jesus. Does that make sense? So I was going to talk this week at Vine, and I did last night, about how do we make that work? Because those are components, right? And if I have all the components of a car, I don't have a car until it's actually assembled. It doesn't do me any good to have four tires and a transmission and a steering wheel if they're in pieces. So I was going to talk about this message and say, hey, this is the secret ingredient. This is the key thing to putting it together and making it work. This is how we help those tires actually meet the road and we live it out. 
without moving to the wilderness and becoming monks. Because I don't know about you, not on my radar. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dan. Now remember, I come from the Vine campus, and I like to get my people to yell. Okay? So everybody go, ah! Yes! Yes! My people! Amen! I love it. We're going to have a good time. There are some games in this message. I'm going to use some familiar stories to illustrate how the secret ingredient works. I'm going to put up a slide or two, and when you think you know what story I'm about to say, yell it out. Do not raise your hand. Nobody raise your hand. Okay? Yell it out. But the secret ingredient, time is the secret ingredient, guys. You can have all the knowledge in the world, and if you don't take the time to put that knowledge into action, it is absolutely worthless. I subscribed to Field and Stream magazine for 10 years. Never shot a deer. Okay? I could tell you that they like to bed down and thick cover in the evening, usually swamps. They like to feed in fields at night. I could tell you their travel patterns. They like to go in valleys. They don't like to walk on ridgetops. I never shot a deer because I didn't allocate enough time to actually go out where the deer are and hunt. Okay? I had pieces, but I wasn't putting it into action. I should have got Time magazine. You notice I used, I tried to find the right font. Thank you. High five. Dance here. All right. We're going to talk about some stories, but before I do that, we're going to come up against this idea of, do I have the time for that, and how do I take time for that? If you have a struggle with that, maybe you're a hard-charging, driven, type A personality. You're a doer, man. Do, 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 do. And you struggle to step back and take time to do these things. I want to suggest a book. This is my beat-up, time-worn copy of Margin by Dr. Richard Swenson. And it will help you feel better about allocating time to the things we're going to talk about. I just suggest it. It's a good book. It's not hard to read. But if you're a type A, you will be angry from the first page to the last. I promise you. But it will be good for you. So this is my prescription. All right. You guys ready for game time? Here comes the first slide. When you know what story I'm about to use, yell it out. Not nativity. Mary and Martha. Dance here for the win. That's right. Lady serving in the background, pouring out some stuff. We have a lady listening attentively to a guy that must be Jesus, as I said last night, because he's wearing a sheet and has a beard. By that definition, I'm more than halfway there. <laughs> more Christ-like all the time. Let's read this story and find out what in the world it has to do with the secret ingredient and in spiritual growth. Now, as they went on their way, that's Jesus and his disciples, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Yell out, Martha welcomed him. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Pause. I had a mom and a dad that made me go to church three days a week my whole life. I have heard this story preached and preached and preached and preached and preached, but it usually has one common theme. They want to slap a big black dividing line between Mary's in quotation marks and Martha's. Has anybody heard this line of reasoning? Like, are you a Mary? Which is the contemplative listener, right? Which 
we don't want to say it too overtly, but that's really spiritual, okay? And then there's Marthas who actually do the stuff that needs to get done, and they're, yeah, I mean, they're, they're spiritual, but they're second class. You know, they get a B plus. They just miss the A, and that's usually the thrust of the sermon is how do we get more like Mary and less like Martha? <sighs> if you are a doer, this has no doubt driven you nuts. You're like somebody, my mom is the best at this. She hates this story, and she hates when it's teach this way. Because she's, she, my mom's Sicilian. She's like, oh, nobody wants to eat? Jesus didn't want to eat? They didn't care about eating? Oh, okay. Like, they thought dinner was going to cook itself? I'm like, okay, mom, I guess your point. Easy. She gets, and <laughs> if you know my mom, you understand. <laughs> Preach. Amen. So, understandably, that's an understandable reaction because that is butchering the point of this story. Everybody make crumpling motions. Like we're crumpling up a paper and we're throwing it behind us. We are throwing that out because it's garbage. This story is not about whether you're contemplative or a doer or whatever. This story is about priorities. Look, we all get the same amount of time. I think it's 168 hours a week. But again, you remember the four fingers and I said three, so don't quote me on that. You check me out. How are we going to allocate that? How are we going to prioritize this time? This story is about that. Martha invites Jesus Christ into her house and then ignores him. Whoa. Some of you are already jumping ahead to what I'm going to say later. She has no time for Jesus because of her serving. She's distracted by serving. This isn't two equals, contemplative and service. She's distracted by serving, which in this context is a negative. She's making a boo-boo here, okay? We can be distracted from Jesus by a lot of stuff. Anything can distract us from God. But right now, I just want to hammer this one point. She sees Jesus. She wants Jesus in the house. She invites Jesus into the house. Jesus accepts the invitation and comes into the house. She doesn't talk to him. We can live our Christian lives here. Do you know Jesus? Yeah, I know him. He's in the living room, but we don't talk. Well, don't you think that's strange? We have to take time to listen to God and encounter God intentionally. Who's heard the expression, time flies? Everybody, right? Well, flies like a bird? What does that mean? Well, one of the definitions of fly is to run, to retreat. Time is retreating from you. It's leaving. It's running that way. If you want to take it, what I mean in this sense is you need to forcefully appropriate it. You need to grab time. Take it to listen to God and to encounter him. Let's look at the two key words in this passage. Teaching and serving. They are awesome. Serving is diakonia. Anthony, I didn't know you spoke Greek. I don't. But I have the, who knows, Blue Letter Bible app. Somebody said it. Praise the Lord. Yes. Amen. Get this app, Blue Letter Bible, and you too can be a fake Greek scholar just like me. <laughs> Download it today. This word means ministry or service. It can be used for any type of serving. You're waiting tables. You're doing, you know, duties a servant would normally do. But in Christianity, this word has a different connotation, doesn't it? Ministry is diakonia. This is service rendered to God and for God. This is where we get the word deacon. So this has a, a whole new just way of meaning in this story when we look at it like that, and we see that Martha is ignoring Jesus to serve Jesus. Wow! 
Martha, you're missing it. This is, this is why Jesus says, Martha, Martha, like, look, you are so missing it. You're this close. I'm in the living room. Just come in here. Anything can distract us from Jesus, but that includes ministry. And we sometimes need to evaluate our ministerial lives, don't we? Why are we doing what we're doing? And is it an excuse not to talk to the God who's in my house? Let's talk about, yeah, that's, that's pretty good, wasn't it? I like it. I, when I found this out, man, I got up. I was like, oh, man. I like walked around the house for a minute. I was like, never saw that before. That's crazy. And here's another one that made me react the same way. This word for teaching. What is Jesus doing? Well, this word in the Greek can mean teaching, a teacher's teaching. It can mean the philosophy of the teacher, and it can also just mean word. Jesus is described as passing on the logos. Wow. He's not having coffee table conversation. He's downloading the DNA of the kingdom in the living room, and Martha is missing it for ministry. Mary isn't listening to Jesus talk about what he had for breakfast that morning. He's passing on the logos. You have the living word of God passing on the teachings of God in the living room. What is the priority? It's not pasta. Do we see how we butcher the story when we try to draw that divide? This story is about priorities. Take the time to listen and encounter. Martha is being robbed of the logos by good service. So this is point number one. Time is fleeing. Forcefully appropriate it. Take it. And take it to listen to God and to encounter God. That's a good word right there. Thank you. Thank you. I thought so too. <laughs> Purely the Lord. All right, this next bit doesn't have a cool picture because it's not really a story. It's more of a blurb. But I need to set it up for you guys. Jesus has been teaching the disciples, and the disciples are ready to try their wings out. You know, the little fledglings are ready to leave the nest. So he sends them out two by two, and he says, Guys, go out there into the big, scary world, and you do what I do now. I give you authority to cast out demons, heal the sick, all the cool stuff you've seen me do. I want you guys to go out and do it. And they say, okay, and they go out there, and they start doing it. Also in this chapter is recorded that Herod hears about this, King Herod at the time, and Herod has just killed John the Baptist. Why is this important? John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin and the forerunner to Jesus' ministry. And he's just been decapitated in prison. Jesus hears about this, and he is troubled. He no doubt thinks, oh, I'm reminded of what's coming for me. This is a sobering moment. The disciples are doing all of this amazing stuff. They're finally... Flying solo, well, actually, duo, I guess. There's two of them at a time. They're doing the things that they're called to do, and then they hear about this, and they think, wow, amazing things are happening, but this climate is getting kind of stressful, kind of hairy. This is hard to digest. Are we feeling the scene? Amazing things are happening, but tragic things are happening. They're having trouble figuring it all out emotionally. This is hard for them. They need something. They need a break. Let's read what Jesus says to them. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him, all that they had done and taught. And Jesus says to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Somebody says, Amen. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Somebody say, Leisure. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. They're beat up. They're strung out. They're trying to process what's going on. Jesus says, My men need a break. Come away and take a rest fails, though, 
because Jesus is a big deal, and the crowds see him, and they follow him. He tries to run across the Sea of Galilee. The crowds follow. He has compassion on them. That's going to be a key word in a minute. And his compassion moves him to take care of the crowd. But read the story. He's already tired. Everybody needs a break. He performs this amazing miracle, but the minute he's done, I, you know, the last napkin is thrown away, and the last paper plate is in the dumpster. The last dude swallows, and he says this. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. Do you see what happened? Everybody is at their wit's end. I mean, they are exhausted. They are bordering on burnout. Things are tough. And Jesus says, man, my guys didn't get the break they needed, and now they're, they're really stressed out. Now he says, guys, I'm going to take the bullet. I'm the attraction. Everybody's here for me. Run. Get on the boat. Get out of here while nobody's looking. I'll dismiss the crowd. So Jesus handles that by himself without his 12 guys so that they can get away and take a breather. And then Jesus is so burned, he's got to go up on the mountain and hang out with his dad for a while. There is a lesson here that we need to hear, and that is this. We have to take time, forcefully appropriate it. It's trying to get away. Grab it. Take time to be refreshed. Everybody needs a break. Everybody. Can we agree that Jesus had the most important job of anyone on the planet? And I think most of us would agree he was training the guys that had the second most important jobs of anyone on the planet. Downtime was still factored in. There's nothing so important that you don't eventually need a break, even if what you're doing in some ways energizes you. Everybody needs a break. Now, I, was, I wouldn't say I was rebuked last night after I said this, but I definitely was uh, uh, challenged by my good buddy Leonard Duke, and he walked up to me and he said, hey man, you know, some people need to hear the opposite message of what you just said in that portion. And let me just say that's true, because some people need to hear the message that says, get up and do something. So I need to draw a line here, and this is kind of a caveat, but hang with me. Sitting on your couch, scrolling through Facebook, endlessly looking at Instagram, and then playing video games, and then getting on Snapchat, and then watching movies, and then listening to podcasts, is not what is being talked about here. <laughs> that is not being refreshed. That is you as a human being, created in God's image, being wasted. And if that makes you angry and you totally disagree, do me a favor and disagree to me personally afterwards, and I'd love to talk to you, but I feel strongly about that. That is not refreshing. It's not. This is totally different. They are being refreshed from something that was worthwhile, and they need a break. So that's the caveat. We're back in. Anybody hate me and want to leave after that? No hands. Good. Moving on. Amen. Preach. Knowing when to take time to rest is part of spiritual maturity. You should read the book God's Generals sometimes. It records the lives of revivalists, and some of them didn't know how to rest, and it wrecked their lives doing good stuff. But... Is that horse beaten to death and beyond? Say yes. yes. Amen. Take time to rest and don't feel bad about it. If you do, read margin. The next slide is a game slide. Who's ready to yell out the story? You guys ready? All right. Good Samaritan. Yes. Nailed it. No doubt. I love, I love these slides. I look for the cheesiest 
churchiest slides I could find. This is a pretty good one. That's like straight off a flannel graph. The Good Samaritan. What does this have to do with time? And what in the world does this have to do with spiritual maturity and growth? A lot. A ton. Way much. We're going to read the story and find out. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, which, by the way, according to the David Guzik commentary, which fittingly is found on the Blue Letter Bible app, that's right, this was a notoriously dangerous road. Jesus is setting up his story so they'll know, oh, this guy's in danger, he's going down a bad road. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, and all the Jews that were there would be like, Oh, God, Samaritan, oh, I can't even listen to this. No way. They didn't like Samaritans at all. And the Samaritans did not like Jews. They both returned the favor equally, okay? So the Samaritan sees him, and he had compassion. He wanted him, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. This is another one, right? This is another story we've heard a million times. And you shouldn't look for more in a parable than is intended to be there. Normally, they, they're only meant to teach one or two main points, you know, and like really hammer it home. So I'm not trying to do that. I think the point I'm about to make is actually integral to understanding the parable correctly, okay? Because this is another one I think we can easily butcher. The story hinges on compassion. Many times, maybe in a skit, maybe you've seen this done with like youth ministry or something, we have the little guy pretending to be hurt on the side of the road, and he's like groaning and reaching out for help, and he's barely making it. And you have the guy dressed up as the priest go by, right? And he's in his really nice priestly outfit, and he sees the guy, and he's just disgusted, you know? Oh, gross, a guy beat up on the side of the road. Oh, Man, oh, I hope he doesn't infect me with something and goes off on, on his merry way. And then the Levite comes by, same response, right? How dare he be beat up on the side of the road? Oh, man, walk off over there in the bushes so I don't have to look at you. And he goes back on his way. And then the Samaritan comes by, and after we have that set up, the Samaritan is just a human being, right? He just responds correctly. Oh, my gosh, this poor dude. <sighs> I think there's a problem here. And I think the problem is compassion. Why is this a problem? I'm going to put up the English definition, okay? Compassion, a noun, feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, and it's accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate their suffering. Amen. Is this a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. I don't think this is what the story is talking about. Oh, what? That's crazy. It says compassion right there. Yeah, it does, it does, but remember, I have the Blue Letter Bible app. So I'm a fake Greek scholar, as all of you can be. And I have a screenshot coming up on the next slide that is the Greek word that's translated compassion. And see if you can notice something a little different. Okay, here we go. English, and don't yell out splanch. That's Justin Dumois. First thing, he's splanch. That's, never mind, sorry. That's, what's different? It does say splanch at the top. English. Oh, it's a verb. We've translated a noun with a verb. Oh, my goodness. What have we done? Over here, we have a noun that is a feeling. 
And over here we have a verb that is to be moved. This is stronger. This has a different connotation. This is what the Samaritan had. It's not talking about a feeling. It's talking about a feeling so strong it compels action. If you look in the Mounts' expository about this word, it says this is the, the thing that caused Jesus to heal. The compassion caused Jesus to feed people. This is way deeper than a feeling accompanied by a desire to alleviate suffering. No, this is to be moved, man. This is deep. This goes down to your guts. This is almost unavoidable. Does that make sense? So we can't say that the priest and the Levite were cold and unfeeling by reading our English definition into the text. Okay? Because we don't know. That image of them throwing their head over to the other side and going on their merry way might not be true. And in fact, I suspect it's not. We have to ask another more uncomfortable, more difficult question, which is actually Jesus's point here. Why didn't they stop? Why didn't they take time to be used? Were they just busy? Oh, because I think this is the scene. Oh, that poor guy, he's half dead. Oh, well, I've got to get to Jericho by five. And bless him, Lord. Hope somebody comes by and helps that guy. Does this seem a little more believable? Maybe uncomfortably familiar, right? Oh, if I didn't have the annual priest's gathering in 20 minutes, I'd, I'd stop. But I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't forcefully appropriate. Take time. Time is flying. Grab it. We have to take time to listen to God and encounter God. We have to take time to be refreshed, and we have to take time to be used by God, and we need to ask ourselves when we don't want to do that, are we just busy? And I would, I would encourage one other question. Am I really busy, or do I just think I'm busy? It's going to kill us to be 10 minutes late to the meeting, 15 minutes late to the lunch, to change a tire, to get a guy a Big Mac. Is it? Is that unforgivable? I helped an old lady change her tire. Don't you ever let it happen again. You get here on time. I have a hard time believing that. Take the time. Conclusion slide. This is the last story. Do not guess Ark. It is not Ark. That is not... They were there last night. This was the best moment. Vine was so great last night, by the way. It was, it's on the recording if you want to listen. It is not a picture of the ark. Just a heads up. Could get beat up for that. Get ready to yell it out. Here we go. And Moses and the burning, astounding. Everybody got it. We'll be sure to bring that up to somebody. There's like 150 people here. Nobody guessed ark. It's astounding. <laughs> It's Moses in the burning bush. Of course it is. Good grief. <laughs> so good. You would have had to been there. I'll, <clears throat> I'll, moving on. So let me set this up for you. Who's Moses? If you're new to church, you've never been to church before, you have no idea what this means. It's strange. We've got a glowing tree. What the heck's going on? Don't feel bad. Some of us were just raised Baptist and forced to go to church a lot. So <laughs> Moses is a Hebrew, he's an Israelite in Egypt, right? He's abandoned as a baby, long story, and he's adopted by Pharaoh's household. He's brought in and raised as a prince. And when he gets to be an adult, he realizes, wait a minute, 
I'm a Hebrew. All those slaves out there getting abused are Hebrews. This isn't right. And a flame and a passion to set this thing right flared up inside of Moses dramatically. And one day he sees an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew, and he beats the Egyptian to death. Now, he's been raised as a prince in Egypt in Pharaoh's house, and his zeal to stick up for his own fellow countrymen was so strong, he beats this Egyptian to death. But it's found out about, and he's got to run for his life. And he spends just a little bit of time in the desert tending some sheep. Forty years! Adopted into Pharaoh's house, raised as a prince, on the run, in limbo, for 40 years. And then this happens. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Moses, in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. You see where we're going here? Some of you are giving me looks like, oh, I know what you're about to do. Yeah, I see it. Good. An amazing thing is about to happen that is going to change the course of world history forever, unalterably. Okay? Things are about to happen that are so big, we are a result of it. We are in these chairs right now because of the cascade of events that starts right here in just a few seconds with what God is about to tell Moses. Moses is about to begin the most intimate relationship with God anyone in the Old Testament ever had. That's unquestioned. Moses is about to be the first person to learn God's name. And in fact, in just a little bit, he'll be the first person to have God tell Moses about God's self, reveal his character, reveal what he's all about. This is the beginning of an incredible depth of knowledge about God that nobody ever had. Moses is about to have his identity that had been in limbo for four decades affirmed, yes, you are supposed to do something about that problem, and enhanced, not one or two, Moses, the whole country's coming with me. We're raiding this place. Moses is about to be empowered by God himself and assured of God's help. All of this is about to happen with this added benefit. Moses is going to receive a role. He's going to receive a position. He's going to get God's wisdom about how God wants Moses to relate to Moses' people as prophet and leader. You notice how that's all three journeys? Amazing revelation of his identity, amazing revelation of God, and amazing revelation of how he's supposed to relate to the world around him. All three, in a single moment of revelation, his life is about to be changed forever. We're going to be here as a result of this revelation, and none of it would have happened if he had not taken the time to turn aside and investigate some weird bush. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside, he called to him. When the Lord saw, he turned aside, and not before. Wow. Take time to listen to God and encounter God. Have to. Take time to be refreshed. Take time to be used. Take time to be interrupted. God wants to wreck your ordinary. Will you let him?
Now I can hand it off to Dan with no challenges right now to close. Do you guys want to hear the, the challenge slide? You guys want that? Okay, good, good. I got all yeses, some nods. The clock and the Christ are not friends. This is a quote from the margin book that I showed on the first slide. Time is running away from you, and it wants to run you. Take it. Forcefully appropriate it, and make it do what you want it to do. Use it for what you want to use it for. How will you take time to listen and encounter, to, and encounter God? How will you do it? Get a plan together. How will you take time to be refreshed? And you might say, well, I'm just in a really busy time right now. Oh, it's so churchy. I'm going to say it again for the third service in a row. I'm just in a busy season. Ugh, churchy McChurcherson. Look, I'm not trying to make anybody feel angry if you really are in a busy season. Guys, that happens, okay? And sometimes it happens longer than we want it to happen. Maybe you're making big sacrifices for big goals, for big returns. You've got a big vision for your life, and that is necessitating a time when you feel like you don't have time to be refreshed. I'm going to pray for you, man. Jeez, I mean, you need that. Your spirit can be refreshed even inside a busy schedule, okay? I don't want to make you feel bad, but I want to ask this question. If you're going on 10 years of your life and you're still in that busy season, let's do some self-evaluation. Maybe you've actually fallen in love with a lifestyle that's robbing you of rest. Maybe there's something else stopping you from taking that time. Take the time to be refreshed. Take the time to be used by God. So often, we're not used because we don't think we have time, but we actually have the time. Eh, you know, I need to stop kidding myself. Do I really need to get there that quick that I can't stop for that? Mm, probably not. Take the time. And lastly, will you commit? We need this as a church. God works here so often. Will you commit to being interruptible? Will you let God wreck your ordinary? Because God wrecking your ordinary might be the first step towards God's extraordinary. Are you willing? 